This is Jay Tholen. And this is Chris Schlarp. And you're listening to Pixelated Audio. Episode number 103, featuring the music of Dropsy. Dropsy is that clown that the folks around town would warn you about. They'd tell you of the monster he became. How he killed his own mother by sparking that circus tent blaze. around town are wrong about and he cares for them all anyway with his signature smile and warm damp loving embrace Welcome back to the bi-weekly video game music and retro gaming podcast, Pixelated Audio. We're your hosts, I'm Brian, and this is Gene. Hey everybody, today we're going to be talking about Dropsy, a game that's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, the track that brought us in was the Eternal Hug Part 2 off the Dropsy Eternal Hug EP by Jay Tholen. And uh, it was the song used in some of the trailers and lets you kind of know kind of about the the premise of, of Dropsy, I guess. So uh, today we're really excited because we have both the creator, Jay Tholen, and the composer, Chris Schlarb, joining us to talk about this special title. Welcome, guys, and thanks for coming on to chat. Yeah, thank thanks. you. Can you guys give us some insight about yourself? Uh, I guess we can start with Jay. Yeah, sure. I am a 31 or something, I think, 31-year-old dude fr- uh, originally from Florida, and I moved to Germany after Dropsy came out. Because I was then able to move out of my dad's house. Um, and I make, I now try to make games as a professional-ish thing. Yeah. Nice. nice. And I'm mostly an artist, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but I do music and game design, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. And Chris? Yeah. Uh, my name's Chris Larb. Um, uh, I'm a 41-year-old uh, musician, composer. My wife and I uh, own a studio called Big Ego in Long Beach, California. I was born and raised here. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I I used to run a record label called Sounds Are Active way way back when, and and I if I remember correctly, that's when Jay and I kind of first got on each other's radar. Um, and then yeah, uh, I stalked you on Facebook back then. <laughs> <laughs> I think I sent you guys a demo. It sucked. 
Yeah. 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 And and it, we were putting out records by like weirdo Christian outsider like groups like Soul Junk and whatnot. And I think Jay, you know, had been like a longtime fan of those groups. And then uh, yeah. one thing led to another. And I, I did the soundtrack for a game called uh, Night Sky um, that Niflis uh, put out or created. And then sort of like maybe as a uh, like, you know. That, that was sort of maybe the thing that put it over the edge of maybe me, you know, kind of jumping into Dropsy with Jay. Your record, uh, Twilight and Ghost Stories, was one of my favorite records, too. Like, I was listening to that do at work, and that was also... Night Sky also, because I knew Niflis growing up in the click-and-play community. It's like a nerdy community. But, but uh, Twilight and Ghost Stories, that record, really... I was like, oh, I got to... I gotta talk to this guy. <laughs> well, that's funny because that you know that's what got me the job working on Night Sky, um, and like Twilight and Ghost Stories is probably one of the most like avant-garde <laughs> pieces <laughs> of music like I've ever put out. It's like a forty-minute sort of sound concrete kind of you know piece with like forty different musicians and people kind of floating in and out. So it's hilarious that that got me like <laughs> you know got my foot in the door with like video game music. Totally. So, Jay, could you tell us a little bit about that track that brought us in? What was the the story behind? You you wrote actually kind of a lot of song story pieces before Dropsy. Yeah. Um. I mean, um. So that was a track I wrote around the time of the Kickstarter, around 2013, and it was a little too late to use on the Kickstarter. Um. And so I had it sitting around and um. And I had sent it to Devolver, who's my publisher, like pretty early on, and they were pretty excited about it as like a as like a possible trailer song. And there's actually a little story here because Chris got the the Dropsy band back together after they had already recorded like the whole soundtrack, and they recorded an amazing um, trailer song that never was used um and it and it's a medley uh and because um devolver wanted to go with my song and i felt so horrible because they all (laughs) went into the studio again recorded this amazing track and i i mean i think yeah chris do you have any thoughts on that (laughs) i've totally forgot about that actually Uh, yeah is that still laying around on your i'm sure somewhere yeah that yeah yeah, that's funny man i i (laughs) i do remember you know basically like you know doing the the whole soundtrack and we like got it mastered and the whole thing and then I was like, man, I can't wait to see the trailer. And then they didn't use like any of my music in the trailer oh, for any of the games. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Right on. Well, if, if you can yeah, find... In, in retrospect, it was all my music in the trailers. And in retrospect, like, I do wish like we would have split it evenly, like one of mine and one of Chris's or something like that. But it was just, I was, there was so much going on. And it was just, okay, trailers done, whatever. Whatever, just ship it, thing. get it out. Yeah. Um, well, if you still have but, that track, Chris, and uh, you want to you want to share it with the world, we'd love to put it on the on the website or something for people to listen to after after listening to this episode. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a look. I'm sure I got it in a folder somewhere. I, I you know I don't throw any of that stuff away, and I, I seem to remember it being 
pretty good. I just, <laughs> it was cool. I, did, I honestly forgot. I forgot it even existed. I mean, I, I probably <laughs> work on two or three records a month and have since we did the the Dropsy soundtrack. And so it's kind of like, oh yeah, that that oh, exists yeah, that someplace. Yeah. <laughs> My awesome. song, that uh, song I recorded, I added in these. Um, so you know the progression. It's like probably the most standard progression ever for songwriting and so i did this thing where i was like ah oh, crap this sounds so basic and boring so then i added like that five eight part with like weird add nine chords and stuff in there <laughs> um in in the middle because i was like oh this isn't if music people listen to this uh so so i had to throw in like the proggy part so that uh <laughs> even though it sounds like i don't know baby babies playing the instruments or something it's a very jay tholen thing to do it's a very jay tholen thing to do it's just a very quirky track but i mean that's that's something i've noticed in a lot of your tracks which i love and i think it really fits yeah yeah yeah. so uh actually real quick i wanted to ask you about the vocalized parts first of all who's your vocalist and why are they so awesome in my song me (laughs) (laughs) i knew that Uh, it was was a loaded question (laughs) oh thanks uh you know, I, I just recently got this pitch correction software where it shows you where it shows you how on the n- notes you are. And yeah. I'm I now never want to sing again because I am just <laughs> I'm not even like on the in the range of the note that I want <laughs> to hit most of the time. Oh, that's so, great. I don't know. Maybe I'm, it works. It works yeah, in context. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about Dropsy a little bit. Dropsy, the point-and-click hug venture, was released for Windows, Mac, Linux, and uh, a bunch of other stuff on September 10th of 2015. It was released on iOS a few months later and Android the following year, published by Devolver Digital and developed by Tendershoot and A Jolly Corpse. Before we get started talking about Jay's company, I kind of want to talk about the publisher for a second. Jay, you had mentioned Devolver Digital a little bit earlier. Um, For those of you not familiar with the company... Devolver Digital is becoming really quite well known in the indie space. It's an American game publisher founded in 2009 in Austin, Texas uh, by two publishing veterans, Mike Wilson and Harry Miller. Their first published title was an HD remake of Serious Sam, The First Encounter, but they really hit it big though in 2012 when they published Hotline Miami by Denneton Games and uh, since then have made a name for themselves publishing an eclectic mix of very high quality games, including Loof Trousers, Titan Souls, Downwell, How to Full Boyfriend, the Pigeon Dating Simulator. And uh, there's like Broforce, The Messenger, a uh, ton of different Serious Sam titles, and uh, just a ton of other stuff as well. Yeah, I was going through the website recently, and you know, I've seen the name Devolver Digital on a lot of games, but I'm just surprised that they're, they're all over the place. I mean, they're really probably one of, the, one of the biggest indie devs right now. Right, they're producing a lot of really hot titles and uh usually when you see that name uh, you know it's gonna be a good quality you, you know game, it's gonna yeah. be a good game you know it's gonna be a good game so it's pretty awesome that dropsy is uh you know it's in it's in good you know it's in good hands with devolver digital as far as a publisher goes i think that's pretty awesome it's got to be um kind of humbling to to be part of uh that kind of list of of amazing published titles so Dropsy was developed by Jay's company Tendershoot and A Jolly Corpse, who made the games uh, Wiv and Keep, Smashbox, and of course Dropsy. And uh, Jolly Corpse is the three-man team of Jesse Bull, Bo Langston, and Dave Walton. 
Uh, what can you tell us about your company and a Jolly Corpse? So my company is like just me. It's just like I guess a pseudonym. Um, and um, tender, tender shoot. What does that mean? Uh, it's from the Bible. <laughs> Probably not surprisingly to anyone who knows my music or anything, but uh, uh, it's it's about how basically it's like a prophecy about how. Uh, Jesus was going to come up like a, a tender shoot in dry ground, like a like a, a meek little unassuming small little little plant that comes up. And I like oh, I, see. I like I see. the idea of the gentleness behind it. And yeah. Oh that's pretty that's cool. That's where that's from. Yep. That's pretty cool. But um what was the question? Oh yeah, so I <laughs> know that you you mentioned that you worked with a jolly corpse to help finish the game, so Ah yeah. Yeah. So a Jolly Corpse, uh, Bo didn't work with us, but David uh, was the programmer, and Jesse Bull did uh, most of the NPCs were his, um, and they both worked on puzzles with me because what I had uh, originally probably wasn't very good game design. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, 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 there were these huge spreadsheets. It was more lore than it was game design. Was really. this was this your first game? Mm, yeah, my first big, big, big game. I've made like probably 30 or 40 games before this, but they were all small, like from mm. when I was 12 or 13 in I, these yeah, like little communities and stuff. But um, but yeah, this is my first big, big game. And I also was going through a bit of a hippy dippy phase where like I kind of wanted to jettison like traditional puzzles. It was, for lack of a better term, Dropsy would have been a little bit more of a walking simulator than it ended up being. But I'm, I'm kind of thankful that, you know, they didn't, they didn't like trash my ideas, but we collaborated and it ended up probably 80% normal adventure game in terms of <laughs> gameplay. Um, but they are really good designers. Uh, and so, how did how did you get in contact with them? Did you know them previously? I or knew them this... when I was a kid. They were in this click and play community, also when we were kids. Um, and um, also in that community was Derek Yu, who did Splunky and some of these other people. He made a game called Eternal Daughter back then in two thousand and three or four, which is just amazing. But anyway, it blew my like little kid mind. But anyway, I knew the the uh, David and Jesse from way back, way back then. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about Dropsy a little bit. It's got a really interesting backstory. Jay, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, or kind of elaborate on some of the uh, the details. But I read that the idea came to fruition on the Something Awful forums back in 2008. It's kind of like this choose-your-own-adventure game. People would chime in with ideas they had for different choices the player could take, kind of throughout the story. Yeah, okay, so so Dropsy, the sprite uh, that ended up being reused, he was a boss for like a zombie shooty game in 2004 uh, that I made. So I was like, I don't know, 16, I can't do math, something like that, <laughs> when I was 16. And um, I, there were too many bugs, so I never finished it. But I reused that sprite that I always liked it, the clown. He was he was evil back then, of course, because that that's, um, you know... That's what you do. But anyway, yeah. he was a boss. So so I repurposed him and made a MS Paint sort of... It was done in MS Paint, like a thread on something awful. Uh, a forum game, choose your own adventure thing. And I posted a panel and then and then uh, people would tell me what to do. And I, it was mostly like... 
at the beginning, I was, I was maybe the first two or three pages, I was just taking their suggestions and making stuff up. But then I started, so they sort of shaped him um, in a way, like they wanted him to like hug everything. <laughs> and that really was through their suggestions that he became very huggy. Um, of course, Something Awful is very crude and um, I've grown a lot as a person since uh, I've posted <laughs> there a lot. But um, so some of their suggestions were not very, very kind ones or whatever, but that definitely shaped Dropsy. But as the thread progressed, then I started planning the story. And then all I would do is like put something in a panel that is interesting because I knew someone would say, oh, check out that one interesting thing in this panel that you drew. And then I could just guide the story that way. Right. So like there would be a dumpster and then nothing else in the next scene. And then I knew someone would say, look in the dumpster. So, so I just like <laughs> planned it that way uh, and, and made a made an actual story out of the thread. A lot of those threads end in like people like them t making you urinate on everything and just they get mm. really bad. But I wanted it to be right. a little bit take it in a nicer direction yeah. i'm it's... glad you took it in a different direction <laughs> I, yeah <laughs> the, the internet is a very foul place yeah <laughs> anyway. it's something awful of course i was a member <laughs> yeah. even back then <laughs> yeah so uh, you came up with uh you, you wanted to make a game and then you decided to get a kickstarter going uh a campaign going for it can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, so in 2011, I did a campaign a campaign for $225 to fund Dropsy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was just for the software, because um, I was just thinking, okay, I'll just slowly work on this as, uh, as I go along. But my skills were not, even after learning and trying uh, a couple years, uh, I just wasn't able to to pull that that off on my own with that software, which that software is Multimedia Fusion, which is uh, the same software as the click and play aforementioned click and play software. It's just the next in the lineage of it or whatever. So as you know, as the Kickstarter campaign kind of kept rolling, at what process did you you bring Chris in? Maybe Chris, you can and chime in here. Well, I think there were actually a few Kickstarters, right? I mean, there was the initial one for like 200 bucks, and then there was another one a while after that that was a little bit bigger, and that one didn't succeed. Yeah, in mid-2013, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then finally, there was the one that did succeed and kind of led to the game. And I think it, maybe at the early stages or middle stages of that, that final successful larger-scale uh, Kickstarter was when Jay got in touch with me and, and, you know, it, it, I think for me, you know, Jay was talking earlier about the something awful forms and thinking things always going into a crude or grotesque direction. And I think one of the things that I really loved about working on this game, um, on a larger scale was th its kindness and its sweetness. Um, yeah, it's like a big, it's, it's like a big, uh, fluffy teddy bear child. <laughs> yeah, I see everybody saying that because there are some dark elements to the game, but everybody's like, it's so sincere, it's so sweet, and you right. don't expect that. And, and that's something that I, I honestly find that's just missing, like, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, one of the interesting sort of uh, 
side notes for me for, through this whole process, and I've I, I talked to Jay about this a little bit, was that um, you know the company Nicalis that put out uh, Night Sky that I that I'd done the soundtrack for around the time of the Kickstarter for Dropsy, they'd contacted me about doing the soundtrack for The Binding of Isaac. Oh, wow. Um, and I played the game a few times, and I was like, I hate this game. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like anything about it. And they were like, well, get, get back to us in a week. And I played it a week later, and I was like, I, I like it even less. You know? oh, and, uh, and the thing is, like, obviously that game's you know huge, successful enterprise, and I'm sure everybody's bought like, mansions from the proceeds. But for me, like, I just knew that like, uh, the vibe of that game is so totally the opposite of what dropsy is and right, if you have to right. spend like months and months working on something like i'm very sensitive to kind of the environment and the the spirit of the you know the music and the aesthetics of the game i was right, like right. well dropsy is the thing that i want to spend my time working on and Aww. uh you know, I, I couldn't have been more proud of like how that turned out. I've, I've got. I offered him peanuts too. Like I remember the Facebook chat where you're like, "Well, how much were you thinking with your budget?" And what I know now of how much game soundtracks cost, I would have been very embarrassed at the time to tell you the, <laughs> the number I told you. But yeah. Um, oh, yeah. that's funny. Well, it came together really well, and that's actually a great opportunity to transition to another piece of music. Uh, we have a track here. This is actually. Uh, a favorite of, of ours. It's called In the Court of the Junkyard King. This is composed by Chris Schlarb, uh, and it's a phenomenal track, super laid back. Why don't we take a listen to that, and we'll be right back.
so good. That's good. All right. <laughs> All right, that was In the Court of the Junkyard King, composed by Chris Schlarb for Dropsy. I thought this track is incredible. I love listening to this. It's got a very, and maybe this is a, a great question to ask. It, it has this very, kind of almost like it's playing on a record, kind of this this ambient like noise, almost like the scratching of a needle kind of in the background. A little bit of analog, yeah. Yeah, I, I, re- I really like that. It makes it feel like some kind of guy cruising around the highway and you know in the 80s with a shirt button unbuttoned and you know the hair blowing you know and yeah in a cadillac or something you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> i love it well that, that you know that that track i mean the whole the whole soundtrack you know we cut the whole thing in a day like <laughs> like li- literally wow. like a 10 hour session i should say except for the uh the snack cake factory stuff which was like you know drum machine and synth based um Everything that's got like instruments on it, we cut that in a single session. I wrote all the music out ahead of time, and then we went into the studio with the, I don't know, five-piece, six-piece band, and we cut like everything that day. Um, there are a few wow. little overdubs here and there, but not much. And uh, as I was just listening to that track, it kind of it made me laugh because the two drummers on the soundtrack are in two of like the biggest indie rock bands. <laughs> around like that's Tabor Allen from Cherry Glazer on drums and then Sheridan Riley who plays in this band called Waves wow, um, on, awesome. on the other drum set so it's just kind of funny how you know things work out over a few years time and the, <laughs> the stuff that everybody goes on to do uh, that's awesome well, this is a great track though uh, when when me and Chris were in the early stages of like talking about how the music should sound and like ideas for it and stuff I pretty much think I told him to do whatever, but because I just liked his music, but I did send him a, a, a weird um, diagram, which was the world map um, with <laughs> a bunch of like colored sections. And then it was like, this sounds like shoegaze a little bit, or this sounds like a little spaghetti Western, or this sounds like, like working, working man, like mute, like credence, Clearwater, or, you know, like working man, and that was the working man, like because it was in the junkyard. Nice. It's it's your dad's job, and it was right, he, right. When I heard that track, like I I knew this was gonna be really good. I think that was one of the <laughs> first ones you sent me, Chris. It might have been the first, other than the main theme. Uh, I can uh, listen to this song all day. Oh yeah, and really yeah. Good. actually, we we ha- both Brian and I got a little bit stuck in this section. And, you oh know, God! So there's yeah. something about like because you have to give some animal a cookie or, or some like a like a rot- you have green, to rotten, you have to lead it to the different <laughs> sides of the screen by putting the snack cakes on the plates. I think you get the yeah, little yeah yeah. And, and I you know normally in a game I'd get a little bit frustrated, but the music was so good that I was like I just powered through it and had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I was this close, Chris, without your music to rage quit, but uh, <laughs> this kept this kept me going. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, like, you know, I, I don't do a ton of video game music, but whenever I do, like, I, I try, I really try to kind of preface my, my work as kind of like, you know, saying, listen, like, what I do is kind of different. It's not normal video game music. I don't want to do like loop based music. Right. I'm just not interested in that. And in fact, you know, most of the time when I play a game, I'll either turn the music off because it's incessant. It never stops playing. 
or it's just sort of like um, overwhelming. Like it, sometimes, you know, a lot of sound and audio and games, it's so amateurish and they just think the more the better. And right, right, right. Kind of my, my vibe on like every soundtrack I've done is always like, you know, like when we did, you know, Night Sky and Dropsy, we kind of like in, instituted a sort of like silence um, in between tracks so that there were moments where like the soundtrack there was would no breathe. audio. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they don't they don't loop. I was going to say, I get that vibe too. Like there was uh, a few moments where the audio would cut out and I would be standing around in silence. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of a yeah, nice transition. Yeah, there's just like actually. some nature ambient loop, very low when the right, audio, right. when the, uh, that's always playing. But then, yeah, the way we did that was like each area, similar to how that map had colored sections, each area has a playlist of two, three, four songs. And then, uh, It'll play those songs and there's like 30 to 90 seconds, I think, of silence in between each track. Um, and then it, it keeps playing the playlist. So if you leave the area and then you come back, it'll just start the next song on that playlist. Oh, that's be pretty cool. The, yeah, before you left. So so it doesn't feel like... I hate that thing when you're in a game. It can be charming sometimes, but you like switch screens to go to a different area and then you switch back and you just hear the same song intro like right over right. and over again um especially in some nintendo games it can be funny because they have <laughs> these bombastic like fills at the beginning <laughs> and you're hearing like that happen in a very it, short every, amount of every time every single time yeah yeah, which is like I said, it can be charming, like, but it can also for an adventure game where you're maybe frustrated, it can be um, annoying, like you, you mentioned. And I appreciate Chris's like if I would have just done the music, it would have you would have quit um, the game. <laughs> but um, I just can't stop adding layers, and it just sounds like trash after a while. But. Um, <laughs> The puzzle puzzle you mentioned, um, yeah, I'm not really, like, with my games in the next one, too, if you ever get stuck, just, like, immediately get the guide and, like, then make it to the next part because <laughs> I am so not proud of my, like, the puzzles are always my least favorite part of these things. <laughs> it's, it's, like, the, the whole experience, the audio and the visuals and the story are, like, I guess what I care about more and i'm glad that i work with people who do care about puzzles but yeah you can just go ahead and skip through those next time if you play the next game and you get very <laughs> stuck so. All right. so going back over to chris you know uh, you talked about your background a little bit you were in uh you know the owner of big ego records or you still are yep. um what is your instrument of uh or instrument by trade Mostly guitar. I play a lot of acoustic and electric guitar. Um, and yeah, for like the last four or five years, uh, I've been making a living just as a producer and studio owner and composer. I do a lot of film soundtracks. I produce like one or two records a month at the studio. Um, and uh, yeah, my wife and I opened Big Ego about two and a half years ago. It's a commercial facility in Long Beach. And uh, yeah, I kind of just, you know, it's I I needed it e even if only to work on my stuff because pretty much everything I do is like a full ensemble of musicians from like, you know, 3 to 13 people. Um, wow. 
And uh, we mostly cut everything together live, everybody in a room, you know, at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, and that that's, you know, that's what I love doing. I, I mean, I'm kind of in a way trying to imprint that on video game soundtracks in a way because I, you know, oftentimes when I listen to game music, I, it's so flat and kind of like smug <laughs> and, and kind of like, uh, there, I always think of like different, like creative ghettos, you know? And I always think like, man, like video game music is, might be like one of the worst because it just, it's so like self-satisfied by just kind of like genuflecting to like super Mario brothers or something, you know what I mean? Like these kind of like <laughs> right. iconic things and sort of like, imagine if, well, I guess it sort of happens in all kinds of music. Like, you know, people are constantly trying to get like the John Bonham Led Zeppelin drum sound like 40, 50 years later. But um, kind of what I'm, I'm just, you know, th this is part of what drew me to Jay is that his his spirit and his attitude about what he's trying to convey in a game is different. And he sort of gave me the latitude to do the same with the music. And I remember at some point early on, Jay was sort of like, yeah, I don't know if you want to do like some FM synthesis and I was like, no, I don't. I don't know <laughs> no. about that. No, uh, no. I, I'm, I'm I like, no, I don't. He, he do caved that. slightly, but it's not FM. But I was happy <laughs> with it anyway. So that's for the snack cake stuff, right? Yeah, the snack right. cake stuff. Right, right. So, um, you know, I did want to ask actually what your your first thoughts were when Jay approached you to do this soundtrack, and you kind of you kind of mentioned it, but you know, you see this game for the first time, and you you really like the vibe, you're digging it, and everything. But what was the kind of uh, like, what was your first thought? Like, how am I going to approach this? What What was yeah. your first kind of thought going in? Well, you know, I grew up playing all those like classic Sierra and LucasArts uh, point and click games. Um, like Gabriel Knight's probably one of my favorite games of all time. You and me both. Oh, dude. It's, it's still I love master. Gabriel Knight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the writing. I mean, that's a perfect example, right? Like you, you have like nothing compared to the technology of today, but everybody tries to make up for a lack of like writing <laughs> with <laughs> like pomp and circumstance, like check this out, you know, full 360 yeah. degree. It's like, yeah, but tell me a story. Like that's what I make me feel something, you know? Right. So I, I kind of grew up on those games, the maniac mansion and day of the tentacle and Sam and Max. And, and so like the opportunity to do like a, a point and click adventure to do the music was just kind of like, Oh man, I've been I've been waiting for this like forever. <laughs> right. You know, uh, as no soon brainer. as you said that, I can totally imagine a modern maniac mansion having a soundtrack just like this. Like oh, they were going oh, totally. for like punk rock and exactly. stuff way back then. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember the composer on that was that Peter Gallagher. Um, I hope for I'm Maniac not, I'm, Mansion. Yeah, or some of those early Lucas Arts games. There, there was a, there was a bunch. Um, yeah, I don't remember which one who was. Exactly. It, it depends on which game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I was thinking lately. Uh, have, have you, any of you played Thimbleweed Park? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, the, I did I've play seen it, bit, I haven't yeah. played it yet. The music on that does a little bit of a dropsy-ish thing in that, I mean, it's definitely recorded with a lot of overdubbing. I, you can tell it's like kind of a studio-y, like, uh, fiddled with kind of recording, but it makes me think of dropsy because I don't think it loops either. I think it does a similar thing where it ends and then you have an like a different like in some way it reminded me of of dropsy soundtrack just a little bit more than like your average newer adventure game soundtrack might yeah 
I think it was all the tremolo on the guitar a little bit too. So I wanted to go back and say that I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the whole goal of this podcast is to surface really great game music. And one of the reasons why I was personally drawn to Dropsy is like, this is something different. This is something special. And, you know, it fits the game really well. And, you know, one of the questions we had were, what are some of the main influences you had coming into this musically? You know, both of you, actually, in terms of what you wanted this to sound like. Jay, I'll let you start. Okay, I'll keep it pretty short. But like, my music's always the same. It's like, my music's always like, I, I wish I had a prog, prog rock band, but no one will want to be in one with me. So I just like make my own <laughs> on my computer <laughs> um, with to the best of my ability and and which, you know, is somewhat limited. But um, uh, yeah, and that's that's mostly like I, I guess I really enjoy the dy- dynamic nature of that genre where you'll have you have loud and soft bits next to each other and crazy bits and accessible bits. And I like the the dramatic arc of some of these songs where where you almost could liken it to like watching a movie, listening to one of these really long form sweet things or something where you're like, oh, this is the the pretty pastoral part after the crazy. It's like the break after the crazy like you know complex bit yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's just like and and a lot of that stuff as i've learned more about music it sounds kind of not good anymore to me but i still (laughs) like it like even knowing it's not technically good good, i still really like it it's like what i probably listen to the most still um so yeah my music's just like me trying to have a prog band by myself is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, something that I find is like lost uh, quite often is that like music is Jay sort of talking about this. Music is about feelings, right? It's not really about like technology or even like your lack of skill. Um, it's sort of like, does, does what I'm listening to make me feel something? And, right, uh, and and I think let me um, let me tack on to that real quick. This game doesn't have any speech or dialogue or anything that's in you know anything intelligible anyway. Yeah. Does this does what and with what you're saying kind of right now? Does that kind of shape the way that the the music actually turned out? You know, I think it probably did subconsciously. I I was sort of trying to split the difference between like a film score and a and a like a record. You know. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I knew that I I was. We're, we're, you know, any, any, any creative endeavor, you're sort of always working within all of these limitations. So our limitations were like time, money, <laughs> technology, right. Yeah. Right? right? Like early on, what I needed were, were certain parameters like, okay, I only have enough money to pay musicians for one day in the studio. Okay, well, then I got to write all of these tunes and all these variations ahead of time. And we'll go in and we'll knock them out in different combinations so that it sounds like a lot of stuff when in reality we're kind of like dealing with you know maybe six or seven core themes you know right right. um and you know kind of jumping into that we also knew like well we don't have like the technology to do some insane adaptive you know uh Mm -hmm. soundtrack so if we do two or three or four pieces of music for each area 
and we kind of implement this little system where there's silence in between and they're sort of randomized, we can get a lot of mileage out of, um, a, you know, like we can get a lot out of a little in a way. I'd like to right. add to that um, a little bit in that it was almost the inverse also of what you were asking. Like, I think Chris finished the music in May of 2014 and at that time our programmer had was having some personal issues and he left the project and there was nothing like he was like the the smart guy who knew how to put it all together because we switched to unity Mm -hmm. so then we kind of had to start over with a jolly corpse after that and i had to i most of the art was drawn probably while listening to the soundtrack because he did that he finished that before i did most of the art (laughs) so i think the soundtrack informed a lot of the locations especially the um red clay area with the dubby uh right reggae dubby music i drew most of those scenes to that we got some we got some of those uh those dub tracks to yeah to get in coming up uh this is called home is where the pulmonary artery is this is composed (laughs) by chris schlarb and uh we'll be back in just a sec Home is Where the Pulmonary Artery Is by Chris Schlarb. Now, Jay, you actually sent over an early version of that track, which is just called the Dropsy Theme. Um, Chris, you actually kept that one pretty similar to the original version. I'm Actually, curi- Chris made it and sent an iPhone recording of it on his piano. He, he composed it. Oh. And then for the Kickstarter, I made that, uh, that really OPL sort of FM synthy version for the Kickstarter. So it was Chris's. That was the first thing he wrote. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because we have that original. Why don't we take it just a, a listen to that real quick? Just a second. Sure. Okay. Yeah, so that was the original, the early track, or the, I guess the, I guess it's not the original, right? It's no. the second, <laughs> it's the iteration of the original from the iPhone recorded version of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, now I'm yes. getting confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, but it's it's really interesting to see how uh, that, that track kind of, you know, evolved or devolved uh, into <laughs> what, what, what made it into the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think. 
you know, at the time, okay, so this is sort of what was funny. It, I, we'd gone into the, I think maybe I had a, I must have bought a Wurlitzer uh, piano, electric piano around that time. And uh, I don't remember, you know, which thing I sent to Jay, but maybe I did it on, I had, I used to have a Yamaha CP70, like electric piano. And it kind of in the early days of writing, I'm not, I'm not a good pianist by any stretch, but I actually wrote. I'd say maybe half of the themes for Dropsy on piano. And uh, for me, a lot of that stuff was just like looking at, um, you know, artwork that Jay had done, uh, kind of looking at the map. Look, he, actually, before we went into the studio, uh, Jay just sent me a bunch of like photographs of different places that he was sort of using as inspiration for the backgrounds. And I literally just printed all that stuff out. And before we would do a take or start recording music for an area, the whole band and I would look at the pictures and the artwork and the background. And I'd like describe to them, like, this is where we are in the game. This or like, you know, here we're in the city. Um, here we're in the sort of like junkyard desert area. And uh, it was a really like, artistic um kind of through line to the whole process uh, it it never felt like it got bogged down by like details or uh technology you know sort of just people like hey this is what i feel this is what i think it should be and the more the more stuff i do with video games and in the music business the harder that is to achieve you know it's kind of there, there's a reason why i think a lot of you know Art and commerce are, you know, sometimes like strange bedfellows. But uh, every once <laughs> right. in a while, a game like, let's say, Witcher Three comes out, and you're like, "Wow, how did they do it?" It's like, it's it's art, it's great storytelling, and a great game design, you know. Right. And I right. kind of feel that way on a small scale about Dropsy because the team was so small that we just did everything like as personally as possible. Very intimate, and, right? Yes, yeah. definitely. And Devolver, to their credit didn't didn't muddle in any of those affairs you know mm -hmm. i it was scary how much they didn't muddle i was like thinking oh my god are they do they still want to publish this or <laughs> well you know maybe maybe that's why they um are so successful as a publisher right now is because they're giving the creatives uh, an opportunity to kind of do what they want to do and do what they need to do to make something successful. They're just saying, hey, we're leaving it to you guys. Yeah, when you look at some of their games, there's definitely some things where another publisher would be like, can you actually change this and make it, you know, kind of homogenous? Right. Some of their some of their games are really out there, and I think it's really cool that they allow developers just to do their thing and come back to them. And I, I, I don't know if, if they're just coming back with notes for you guys, but it seems like they really gave you a lot of freedom. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, they they sent it out for testing once, uh, and it was it was a, a testing, some testing people. I don't know. It was like they were in Poland. It was like a firm that does it, and I don't know if you remember this, Chris. I think I told you, but they they uh, they had a thing at the top. It was like puzzle uh, pointing and clicking. Not fun was the not the first um, thing. Uh, I think they meant they would rather <laughs> use a controller. Um, uh, and yeah. then also puzzles too hard. Once we put our head together, heads together, we could figure them out was another. That's literally what the other thing said. The bug testing they did was amazing, though. Yeah. But I think they normally did not a point, not point and click adventures. Right. Uh, 
And but, it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to hit. You know, every crowd is going to be different. That might not have been the audience. You know, anyway. And so. that's like the problem with, I guess, point and click adventures in general because everything is. I always say this, but everything is context. Like, if you don't understand, if you don't catch this visual cue that I'm sending, or you haven't just seen an object that looks the way I'm drawing it, you have no hope of like solving a certain puzzle because <laughs> right. That's there's your necessary knowledge. Whereas and you might you know, never see uh, it again. Yeah, and whereas other games like you have repeat elements that repeat, and it's almost like matching colors or matching numbers. Like it clicks in that way. But adventure games are kind of have very arbitrary uh, puzzles uh, just by their nature, you know. But I wanted to go back to uh, something briefly. Uh, Chris was saying about. Um, not being limited by technology uh, or like being too sort of concentrated on the technology or I don't know. Yeah. So, so one thing I like about Chris though, is that he knows. And when I say technology here, I'm meaning like guitar pedals and particular instruments and stuff, I guess. So maybe that's not the same technology, but Chris really knows, like, if you're trying to get a certain sound, uh, he knows what effects to apply and how, you know, the dynamics that you would play with, like, how, how loud you would play. You know, he I think it's Chris' second nature to you, a lot of this, like, to add spring reverb to the piano, because of course you would. And like <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, there's spring reverb on this piano. You know, if I would have got some other guy, it would have just been a piano or like, hey, at the studio they were at, they had a real Mellotron. And so our end game tracks have real Mellotron on them. And so <laughs> I was so excited. He even sent me a phone video of like them playing the Mellotron on some of the end game tracks. And I just like fell out of my chair. It was the best day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Basically every time I see Jay reply to somebody on Twitter, there's like usually something like, yeah, and there's Mellotron on it. (laughs) (laughs) Or or, or asking the question like, Hey, did you like that? Yeah. There's Mellotron in there. You know, <laughs> dream come true. Yeah, dream come true. Uh, yeah, it was really good. It, and it's not. I mean, I think this is partially like when I was 18 years old, and you know, when in my very formative years when my tastes were being made, and I was super into like old 70s prog. Mellotron Genesis became this and King Crimson. Yeah, that stuff. Mellotron somehow became like. It, it's it tickles something now for me, and, you know, because I was that age when I first discovered it. So I don't think that'll ever go away. Well, to, to me, that just goes back to emotion, right? It's like it makes you feel something. And I think, you know, there are certain like emotional cues in real performances and in real sounds and in real instruments that are that are muted if you're using like VSTs or plugins or fake instruments, if you're using an approximation, you know, does does that make sense? Like every, everything on the dropsy soundtrack other than snack cake stuff was like a real piano, a real saxophone, a real double bass, a real acoustic guitar. Like honestly, for me, it's faster to record 
all of that stuff with real people than it ever would be for me to create a phony approximation of those things. <laughs> I will say I do like a lot of like VST music, but the kind I like is the kind where the person obviously spent like a long time trying to get the dynamics and effect envelopes and everything like just so to where you know they were concentrating on minutia. I'd rather a lot of this like a root canal. <laughs> yeah i know but what you mean yeah i kind of in a way i like it for its uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably be at an impasse here with this <laughs> but i there's something yeah what you're saying is true though like to get the same effect from vsts is a heck of a lot of work or even something similar because you can't just load a patch and just like bang something Expect out it to and sound then perfect right it sound the same you don't have the room you don't have people together you know that kind of thing i will i will say there are some people who are incredible at it and have embraced it like i think what rich does you know all the all like his disaster piece soundtracks like yeah i i couldn't do what he does um and i i kind of don't feel like m most other people could either like he's really like found a unique voice of his own with technology and kind of like making it s submit and serve his purposes. His music yeah. is fantastic. Oh yeah. He's not trying yeah. to approximate any yeah. real instruments. So he, he's taken a completely different angle to, to writing his stuff. Yeah. I've which, which that reminds me, you know, of like, uh, I remember reading an interview with Joni Mitchell and she said, one of the reasons that she loved Stevie wonders synth playing was because he, treat, he treated synthesizer as though it was its own instrument and not an approximation of something else. He wasn't trying to make a synth bass sound like a real right. bass. He's saying, oh, it's, it's some totally unique sound. Let me explore that. And I think that's, there are a few people that I think that are mm. really good at that. And then I kind of feel like most other folks are just sort of like pale imitations, you know? Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead. We got a lot more music to play, so let's jump into our next track. This is called Kierkegaard's Neon Lights, composed by Chris Schlarp.
That was Kierkegaard's Neon Lights by Chris Schlarb. This is a super mellow track. This is, you know, I put this whole soundtrack on mostly in the evenings because that's when I've had time to listen. And, uh, man, this really just makes me melt my chair. It works so, at any time of the so day. So chill, yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Yeah, I love when you walk into, in the game, when you walk into the city uh, for the first time, that's the, the one that plays. And it sets the tone so well for that part of the game. Uh, I really love that track. I love all the city tracks. They're all pretty chill like that. Yeah, I was I was trying to make them sort of like melancholic, you know? Uh, I really, you know, there a lot of these tunes are variations. So like with that one, we like slowed the melody down. And I think we changed the timing into like six instead of four. So the, the notes are kind of like falling in different, you know, relationships to each other. And, uh, you know, changed the arrangement on it. Uh, the saxophone, Jeremy Trezona's incredible tenor sax player. So that doesn't hurt. Um, but, I, you know, I think some of the city stuff for me, I was, you know, maybe subliminally thinking of like the great Mike Post who did like, Hill Street Blues and Taxi theme songs. I mean, one of the great like TV theme song composers of all time. And I, I just always kind of like lament the fact that like TV theme songs now are so generic and boring. <laughs> and they, yeah. they used to make you want to like commit suicide. Like that's how, like you know, like they had they made you feel something, right? Like when you hear like the Taxi theme song, I think that was Bob James, and then. The Hill Street Blues theme song that that posted, it's like they are depressing. They're sad. They're poignant. You know, they like they they evoke an, an emotional response. And now everything's just sort of like. Um, I think the Twin Peaks theme does that for me too, and I love it because ooh, I agree. I agree. It's such a long intro sequence too for a TV program, and they just let it play with like this calm these calm visuals i also chris the the theme of this podcast is like everything these days sucks <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to be the hug venture episode yeah. <laughs> is that my vibe I, no. I, I, think, I, I think i think that that's the tricky thing for me you know it's like I, I always have to have a kind of like point of view on something so that i can respond differently or else everything kind of like to me just feels the same you know right right it's right. not it's not it's not overwhelmingly negative i was just being a uh, being <laughs> funny uh, jay, jay i think you were being negative about me being negative so <laughs> all right let's uh let's talk about dropsy let's talk about the story of the game let's move over to the gameplay a little bit um jay tell us uh in in kind of a in your own words the the story or the premise of of dropsy Okay, so Dropsy is about a being who is um, uh, this is a great description. Hold on, I'll start. <laughs> Wait, you um, did make this game, right? I'm just yeah, just gotta yeah, check yeah, it. I, I I made it. Um, Dropsy <laughs> is about a a clown who is not um, very physically. Uh, attractive looking to most people i guess that would be an understatement <laughs> and he is uh but he has a heart of gold so he um yeah dropsy is a game in which you play as a character uh where 
everyone in the world doesn't like you at the beginning, which I would say is a subversion of most games where you're you're usually some sort of outcast or yeah or like an aspirational type of person like you like a, a strong person or a very smart or powerful person like any human metric of power mm-hmm. usually the video game hero is really good at one of those things intelligence magic you know any something right but dropsy i like as a as a protagonist because he doesn't have any immediate strengths i guess and most people when they play think a shoe is gonna drop pretty you know short a short way into the game where you open dropsy shed and then there's dead people in there uh, or something like that so um and and i would say that that's a subversion but now that i think about it in most games like most of the other characters you kill them so they don't like you either probably but dropsy is is one in what not other adventure games though i guess right but but yeah that's the it's really hard game to describe if you've never experienced it and even me going in gene actually told me about the game and he's like man you got to try this out and i didn't know anything that i was getting myself into (laughs) and then about after i want to say about 30 minutes in that i'm like i get it i get it i get it now uh, the game itself is a point-and-click adventure similar to any of the old LucasArts or Sierra games from the mid-90s. You control the main character, Dropsy. This, uh, like you know, uh, Jay was saying, this kind of slightly grotesque but very sweet clown character that has uh, no fingers and gets like all goofy and... Noodly arms, yeah, yeah. makes all sorts yeah. of <laughs> sounds. And, the, you know, we were just about to get to it, but the core mechanic of Dropsy is basically that you go around and hug people. And it's kind of an odd thing at first, right, right. but it's it's very like it's a very touching thing. You know, people are having a bad day. You go up and hug them, and it sometimes it doesn't even have to do with the puzzle. It's just to make them feel a little bit better. And I love that there's this running list of all of the people and things that you've hugged throughout the game back in your tent. You can just <laughs> exactly. see these like cartoon drawings of every character that you've in- encountered, and. There's also the interactions with your animal buddies where you get a dog, a mouse, and a bird, and they have their own unique actions, and you switch between them, uh, you know, to get the hard-to-reach hard places or have them pick up or retrieve things. And it's pretty non-linear. There's a big map area. You've alluded to it a few times. You can go back and forth. Later on, you get a clown car. You can fast travel. But there's this sense that you were thinking a lot about the lore and the setting, like you mentioned. And... I'm just curious how much of that was there from the beginning and sort of what came along later on down the road. So, yeah, that that was the very first thing. Like, well, the first thing was figuring out what Dropsy was because in the thread, I didn't really care about that question in the old Something Awful game because it was just right, fun. Right. He was a clown. But um, because of the nature of his character he resembles someone who might have like autism and I had to figure out how to make a game about a person like that and do it in a gentle, good way, you know? So it was, it was hard. So, so the, a lot of that came a lot of the lore and the plot came when I was trying to decide exactly who and what 
Dropsy was? Like, where did he come from? Why can't he he talk or, you know, talk like other people talk? Why does he look so different uh, physiologically, I guess? Um, and then, so I made up a, a little story for him and I made up, I started making up a world and initially the, the little areas were a bit disparate and, um, they were just combinations of ideas that I thought were interesting, like the, um, the red clay village, which is our internal name for it, but it's where these sort of, it's almost a combination of like Norse mythology and Rastafarianism and cargo cults a little bit. <laughs> I, love that. I love that area. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's a little bit, not a spoiler because there's not a, enough probably in the game to extrapolate, but um, these people in generations past witnessed the filming of a vampire film and there was photographs of it. And this was at the same time as as a sort of upheaval was happening with them they were sort of being oppressed by another force in this world who uh who were sort of using them for cheap labor and stuff this this group of people and um and they're i i think they're an indigenous people and so so uh, they misunderstood the filming of this movie though they thought it was like a miraculous event it was a vampire movie. Wow. There's uh, way more to that to, than I ever expected. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was Thor versus the vampires. Wow. <laughs> and, and, um, and so you can find little bits about this, but um, I, everything didn't make it in that would have explained it. So that's why I'm saying it here because no one would ever know otherwise. But um, yeah, that and there are a lot of little things like that. The junkyard guy, everyone has their own little thing that I ended up tying together into a, a story where Dropsy has to visit everyone. <laughs> yeah, you really get a sense that there's a little bit more to every character, even if you don't see all of it. Like, yeah, and you know what's really interesting that I, I we, we talked about a little bit earlier? There's no actual dialogue in this game. Everything's described with very simple pictures. And sometimes they don't even make like a, fir a very first impression on you. You have to really think about it. Like, like money is burning, and there's like this rock, and then like somebody is upset. <laughs> what does that mean? And you have to like put these very kind of simplistic, I guess maybe this is how Dropsy is interpreting uh, the, yeah. the world around him. Maybe that's what it is. And so you're almost like living through Dropsy through this game. You, you get to see everything from his perspective. Yeah, the speech bubbles were, were a part of that, like because of who Dropsy is and he, he can't communicate well. Um, and he can't understand people well, which was a thing from the Something Awful thread. He frequently sort of didn't catch cues and stuff. So um, in this, yeah, the, that's why we did the speech bubbles originally is is for that reason. They became quite difficult to, like, as you mentioned. Decipher? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They became pretty difficult because you we have a 20 two or a 30 by 22 pixel area in which to like communicate things and some of these things are things you must understand to progress you know right. so we had to do a lot of uh, iteration on that on those little little icons but uh, but that's why because it kind of simulates being dropsy um and we originally had a little plan for 
by we i mean i but the the guys helped me realize that this would have been a mess for almost a little dialogue system and you could react by clicking an emotion uh like a dropsy face where he was happy sad whatever mm-hmm. and then you could get more icons uh, after that but um for a few reasons that just uh, it wouldn't have worked as well as it sounds like it might have but, yeah. yeah well i think the choices that you guys made maybe it you know it, it might come off a little bit difficult in some areas when at me as a player when i when i figure it out and i i connect the dots it felt it's really rewarding and i i really enjoyed that that kind of aspect of this this title yeah and that's some, what we were hoping sorry go ahead Oh, no. Well, somebody actually brought this up in our Discord channel, and I, I really liked it. You, The language cipher also contributes to that feeling of just alienation and like, I can't understand what's going on as the player or as Dropsy. And I think it really works in conjunction with this other stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, the it, yeah, it's just a direct-to-English sort of cipher gl- glyph language thing. But that's why we did that, too, because... It would feel strange to leave out um, understanding NPC dialogue and then but have readable signs. Just in my right. brain, it kind of was incongruent. Right. And then at the end, it helped us because we zero localization at all happens and right. needed to happen in the game, which is very expensive. Nice. So yeah. I wasn't thinking about that at the time, but it was it worked helped. out to your benefit. Yeah, yeah it helped. Well, let's get into some more music. We still got uh, some more tracks to play. So we're going to listen to a track called Mother's Ba on the Beach. And this was, again, composed by Chris Schlarb. And we'll be right back. was Mother's Ba on the Beach by Chris Schlarb for Dropsy. This is another really chill track. It's got that kind of stoner rock kind of vibe going on. This isn't another one of those tracks that I can have on in the evening and just kind of melt away and and just listen to and and space out. And uh, again, really awesome kind of uh, lo-fi-ish sound with the uh, that kind of record kind of hum in the background yeah. I, I really like that really nice use of the sax in there too it's it's the second half of the piece is just really beautiful oh yeah thank you 
yeah, that one, you know, some <laughs> each section of the the game sort of I tried to put together a kind of a unique arrangement of instruments and um you know, the doing the beach section was was a lot of fun. I still don't know that I don't think that entire section of the game has even been released yet, but uh um I think that's coming in an update still yet undetermined yes. point in the future. <laughs> but uh yeah. I, but yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of funny how all that stuff worked out. You know, we we cut it all in the same day, knowing here are all the different areas that we've we've got to we've you know we have to write music for. So that one was almost kind of turned out like some weird Devo meets Dick Dale kind of thing. <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's a really great track. I, I know we don't have a lot of time left with you, Chris. Um, I kind of want to talk to you before you have to get going here what are your plans as far as moving forward and uh putting out you know new albums new releases do you have anything in the works currently yeah i mean i'm yeah i'm always working on stuff you know i'm signed to this record label called joyful noise uh recordings they put out the dropsy soundtrack on vinyl and uh you know i've got a group called psychic temple which is my own like singer songwriter or you know jazz music or whatever i want it to be for whatever occasion arises <laughs> nice um but yeah and then you know my wife and i have our studio big ego uh and then we also have a record label um that goes with that we've got uh two records coming out um in october we put out two records in january we'll have another four records scheduled to come out um in 2019 we do kind of like a hundred dollar a year subscription series where you know, I produce every record. We do them at, at our studio. Um, so for like, you know, 25 bucks a record or so, you know, you get you get uh, four records throughout the year from like an actual independent studio and record label. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, I've, I've done a few more video game soundtracks, you know, here and there. Uh, I've done a few things with a guy named Connor McCann. Um, he put out a really interesting game called Rotor that uh, uh, was for the for like sort of like a game jam-ish sort of thing that happened in Austin uh, last year. I was really proud of how that soundtrack turned out. And Jay and I are, you know, working on things here and there. So um, somebody was just asking me the other day about additional dropsy things that are in the game but weren't released on the vinyl soundtrack. So I kind of was thinking that maybe we should do like a seven inch or something to put out the the remaining music. Yeah. Uh, oh, that'd be nice. So nice. maybe maybe we can figure that out if there ends up you know being like a Dig port of the game or the update. Too. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, you guys, you guys definitely make a special team. You know this this game the way it turned out with the all the aesthetics, the gameplay, and the music combined. Uh, just was a, a great recipe for success, and I think that um, if people haven't played it, they're gonna they're in for a real treat. It's it's not a very long game. You don't have to you know forty hours of your life to, to to playing this title. You can beat it in what two and a half hours. Yeah, I mean if you know what you're doing, it'll if probably you're smart. take like. Yeah. <laughs> I think it took me like four or five hours, but it was still like a really enjoyable journey, and it's it yeah. just it really stuck with me. Like I I. Just, Spread the love of Dropsy to everybody. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, so we hope that uh, you know, Chris, you you know, continue to work with Jay in the in the future, and whatever uh, you know comes out next, we hope that you're included on that that soundtrack as well. Yeah, well, keep bugging Jay that after you know Hypnospace comes out, that we end up working on this this Moonlight Arms game that we we've been cooking up for a few years. So. Oh man, that would be a cool. I'm trying cool. to publicly shame Jay into working on this project with me because I don't want to do it with anybody else. 
<laughs> I really nice. want to. Oh nice. man. Well, let's make it happen. Let's you, make it happen. You guys, this game like in terms of soundtrack, I don't think there would be anything like it. Can I can't say anything about it, can I? Oh, I mean, if it gets people excited about it and forces us to do it, it you know, be my guest. So, Please, by all means. Yeah. Briefly, I just want to say there are you you have a radio in the game and and the game is set over a finite amount of time. It's almost like maybe groundhog groundhog's day type thing. Yep. And you have a radio you can listen to and you can switch to different stations and you use these, the audio, I think it's very, it, it's very heavy on using hintage from, or keeping track of time via like the baseball game on this one station or exactly. like this commercial huh. going on on another station and the amount of like fun audio stuff that would go uh-huh. into that is just very exciting to me that sounds really awesome it's yeah. really awesome instead of a big fat you know grotesque dropsy <laughs> it's a big yeah. fat grotesque bill murray as the main character <laughs> yes. Yes. it's exactly. actually a little like te- it's a little teenage boy uh the whole game is centered inside of like an apartment complex and uh you know we're, we're, we've kind of been workshopping it for a while so you know i'm just keeping my fingers crossed because as you guys mentioned with dropsy like Honestly, working with Jay to me doesn't feel like work at all. Um, I feel well, like that's we've got, we've got a sim- we have a similar approach to humanity and aesthetics. And I think one of the things that I particularly love about Jay and, and his work is that, you know, sort of his his um, thoughtfulness and his kind of like desire for something better is kind of always apparent to me. And, uh, you know, I think Dropsy is a perfect example where you know, the sort of like the point of the game is trying to like make the, the, the this virtual world a better place yeah. and, the, and the hope that maybe that actually ignites something and like the human beings playing it and would have some sort of like positive impact that would like resonate after you're done playing the game. And I think uh, that's kind of like the goal of a lot of like art and to be involved in that for me is uh you know it's like you don't we don't have to explain this to each other <laughs> like that's really cool to he- hear you say though i like i like hearing you say that it's <laughs> like it's important to me though that 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 like if i make a thing i don't want it to even possibly like someone to 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 finish the thing or finish experiencing the thing and then like then because of it go hurt someone or even like i and not even that more in a proactive way like i i would if i didn't make a thing that could possibly put someone in a better place than they were before they experienced it not that it's going to do that for everyone or that it's like this moving you know amazing work every time or that it needs to be but like it, it has to at the bare minimum have like just a slightly upwards positive positive effect a little bit or i couldn't live putting that out there like like i'm not i have fun playing games where you shoot dudes and shoot each other and stuff but like for me like i just couldn't do that like um make make it because with how much of that like is in real life like i couldn't risk like just the idea that maybe not that that video games cause it but maybe the person who went out and hurt a bunch of people just were doing it in my creation like it would just 
ruin ruin me. Right, yeah. right, right. So yeah. And there's plenty of AAA titles, uh, you know, putting out those kind of games anyway. So there's there's uh, yeah, that's exactly. already covered. You know, we don't yeah, you don't need yeah. to re reinvent that. There are not let, enough let's, games. Let's do something else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There are not enough games where being sensitive and compassionate is like how you get through life in the world. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that, that's yeah. also right. the hardest thing to convey, right? Like, it's so easy to convey anger. It's so difficult to convey kindness. It's it's harder to do, which is why people don't do it. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right, it can right. seem. I think it seems like cheese ball. Like, it, like there's not a good way to do that in a video game where it doesn't feel disingenuous or weird. Well, like, you, you know, honestly, yeah. when I first read the the title of the game, the hug venture, I was like, Oh man, is this like, is this going to be just some corny kind of thing? And you know, it really wasn't. I, I think we do see that kind of when things are goofy or silly like that, it's kind of blown out of proportions to where it doesn't really, doesn't have the same sentiment, I guess. And, and dropsy is, is very different on that account. Yeah. I think we, we, we did, we accomplished our goal there. So, yep. Yeah, I'm st- I'm still proud of it. <laughs> We're coming up on our last couple of tracks. We're going to play Last of the Lonely Tumbleweeds by Chris Schlarb. Oh, yeah. I like this one a lot. was Last of the Lonely Tumbleweeds by Chris Schlarb. This is a, another a mellow, just relaxing, feel-good track. So much of the soundtrack has this sense of nostalgia and longing, but not in a cheesy way like, you know, you were mentioning referencing like old games, but it just feels like simpler times. And I, I just love that about this whole soundtrack. 
Yeah, you know, like one of the things that stands out to me about that tune in particular is that I think it's, I don't play slide guitar very often, and I think that's got some like slide acoustic on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I remember correctly, when I cut that, I didn't even have a slide, so I used like a bottle (laughs) to play the... (laughs) Like I just like picked up like a glass bottle and I was like, okay, well, see how this goes. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, for for me in general, a lot of the music that I work on, I think uh, I'm always concerned about space and making sure that there's plenty of it because uh, so much of what I hear around me is just a kind of cacophonous and I can usually zero in on like whether or not I think somebody knows what they're doing by how much organized space is in their work. And uh, I think one of the nice things about, you know, this tune in particular is that uh, everything kind of like moves out of the way for that, that kind of like lonesome, you know, slide acoustic guitar sound. And if I remember correctly, I might be wrong, but I think there was like an electric guitar playing the chords that I muted and then I played an acoustic guitar playing the same chords, but you can still hear the ghost of the oh, electric that's right. because uh, I cut that with the band and then I like muted it and then kind of like overdubbed an acoustic. So you almost get like an electric reverb from an acoustic guitar, which is kind of a cool little, you know, wow, like Easter egg for that. or something. Yeah, we'll have to re-listen for that now. Awesome. Well, hey, Chris, we know you got to go. Uh, you got to run. Um, Jay's going to stick around with us for a few minutes, but Chris, want to say thank you so much had a great time chatting with you about your composition for Dropsy and your insight on just the the process and your kind of experience working with Jay. Yeah, we learned yeah. so much. Games like this just don't come around very often. And, you know, I'm just glad we got the opportunity to talk to both of you. Yeah, well, thank you guys very much. I had a pleasure. Awesome. And we'll put a link in the show notes to your Bandcamp page and uh, where people can find some of your music. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Take it you easy. It. Bye, Chris. all right so uh jay why don't we move into our next track uh the track we got is called 144 gears marching in 14.4 
That was 144 Gears Marching in 14-4 by Chris Schlarb. This is an interesting one. Very different than everything else we've heard at this point. Yeah, it sounds kind of like what you were aiming for with more of the FM kind of warbly kind of 90s computery sound that you were talking about. Yeah, that that was... Uh, he messaged me and said uh, when he recorded that, because we had these sort of factory areas and sort of espionage sections and secret labs and stuff like that. And they're a little colder and a little more, I don't know, metallic and, you know. So, sure. so, um, so he, that was both him doing those because we didn't have tracks for those yet and right. trying to fulfill my request for FM synthesis, which <laughs> I think it was mostly not FM, but it sounded great to me. Um, and I liked, even though it was still electronic, it was very Mm, sparse I, like there's a lot of room in it still not a lot of layers going on i think it's just a drum machine and a synth really yeah yeah we we love the track that's why we wanted it in but it's it is very different oh yeah than everything we've heard at this point and very different kind of stands out in the album as just a an odd man out it's really one of the few tracks that sounds like this and and you're right it does have a big contrast a lot of the outdoor or sort of more um I guess you would organic areas have the live instruments and you get this, which feels very, you know, a little oppressive, a, maybe abrasive. Yeah. Oppressive, yeah. Yeah. It, it was nice that the spoilers, the bad people's areas had this consistency and that they, their music was mostly uh, electronic. I think I only did one track of that and that was the theme park. Uh, the the theme when you're walking around in the little courtyard of the the theme park they're building. Right, 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 right. But that's definitely FM synthesis. But um, <laughs> it all has that uh, a bit of a colder colder feeling to it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and change the pace a little bit and move over from uh, this you know kind of abrasive kind of sound over to uh, more reggae dub style track with white dub in psychic temple and this is composed again by chris schlarb we'll be right back
All right, so that was White Dub in Psychic Temple, composed by Chris Slarb for Dropsy. Very different than the last track. Uh, this is this is super chill. This is way awesome. Like nice kind of a, reminds me of uh, <laughs> you know Chris from Long Beach, but uh, this kind of <laughs> reminds me of like Long, Long Beach Dub All Stars or something like that. You know, the successor to Sublime and stuff, and kind of has that vibe to me. Yeah, for sure. And on my um, my little map, I sent him Dub. That that area was dub, is what I wrote in there, um, um, and I think I said shoegaze too, which it does have quite a bit of. Re- I mean, dub has reverb up the butt anyway, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So so yeah, that was the area I was talking about with the with the sort of uh, the sort of cargo culty folks uh, for that area. And one thing that I like about that is a few of the tracks he ran through an echoplex uh or a roland space echo i don't remember which but he ran through space echo a tape echo and he turned the knobs and and uh, <laughs> it gets pretty pretty loud later on like the space echo effects and stuff right like right that. right i think yeah. this is one of my favorite tracks in the album i i come back to this one a lot and you know I, in the court of the junkyard king i would totally agree with you and i i i love that there's this kind of aspect of this track in particular where you have that dub underpinning but the top you know the sax and the melodies it's very it's very dropsy and you oh know, yeah it, it, but it's not as much of like a reuse of a theme like you do with some of the other tracks it's it's kind of its own thing but it still fits in really well right yeah this theme was is an easter eggy callback to an album of chris Schlarb, a psychic temple album of his and uh it's a take on the main melody is uh, a take on one of those themes from that album. And the band, the Dropsy band, had already, you know, I think they already performed on that album, so they already knew it. So it was natural. They oh, already had their stuff set up. That makes up, sense. And they're like, hey, let's do a take on, uh, like a dubby take on that theme. And it fits really well. It does sound it does. very Dropsy. Bits of it, there's some jazz Thing that connects them all that I can't explain. Maybe if I looked at the <laughs> notes. <laughs> but yeah. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely has a bit more of a like a polished jam sound than some of the other tracks, but it works really well. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, we're kind of wrapping up here. Uh, I want to talk about the reception of Dropsy. It, you know, I, I I hadn't even heard about it until Gene brought it up about May. He's yeah. like, "Hey, uh, you, dude, have you played Dropsy?" And I was like, no, "No, I haven't heard of it." And he's like, "Go buy it. It's on sale right now." And so I purchased it and I kind of sat on it for a few months and I was like, eh, you know, I'll get to it. This weird clown. Okay. whatever. <laughs> uh, when I played it, I, I was blown away. I, I really, good. I really was. I, I didn't, to be, I was super skeptical. I really was. And I, I really completely changed. I flipped a full, you know, 180 and fell in love with the game. Everything about it. People like looking at like YouTube comments or reviews, people are praising it and they said it's very sincere, very heartfelt. And um, it's just, it invokes all of these, you know, for it, you know, as grotesque as it may look, it's kind of got this Ren and Stimpy vibe every now and then, some kind of, you know, Rocco's Modern Life, kind of that thing going on, maybe even a little SpongeBob or something there. It's kind of seen as, uh, you know, by the whole as a, a very heartfelt game. And I was wondering what the responses that you've gotten, you know, about the game, how have those kind of shaped your maybe moving forward to the next game you work on? Yeah, that's that's a big thing that consumed my thoughts for a long time because um, 
or like before release, but get, getting towards the end of release when we were starting to market it, um, a lot of the reaction, and I don't know if this is because of the way like Devolver angled it, or or if it's just when people see it, that's what they see, is like, oh, here's this creepy game where you hug children and scare them and like <laughs> and i have myself to blame a little bit because like we front loaded it with like farts and like pee jokes and stuff because that'll do it that'll do yeah. it because because we had a few like internal ideas of like well it's an adventure game it's not like gonna be super exciting for to stream um so we need to put some stuff in there like I don't know how intentional this was. It's halfway that we just thought farts are funny, but like we, we definitely put some things like the scare in the mirror. If you click the mirror three times, then you see like a 3D pre-rendered version of Dropsy. That's oh, how he man. sees himself, I, I guess. I got to go do it now. Well, that's yeah, what's in, weird is like in the trailer, it's played as like, oh, it's one of these Ren and Stimpy close-up scare moments. But in the game, Dropsy's like, oh, he's kind of scared of his own reflection it's like yeah. it's meant to be like he's not even really happy with the way he looks he did a really yeah, good job he, of uh of dropsy's voice there gene uh, <laughs> yeah dropsy is me with like a like a crappy vst effect on my voice <laughs> but, uh formant shifted down a little bit but anyway yeah um so yeah but yeah we were partially to blame for that but it it, it it made me a little sad because i saw so many tweets of like people who i some people who i like in the industry really respect who were just like very dismissive they're like oh farty ren and stimpy p game i'm not gonna touch that with a thousand foot pole or whatever and i was like no these are the people that would like it and like would get would probably they're the they're the people who i think would most appreciate what it's trying to say but th- maybe it was a good thing because maybe people who most need to hear the message are also the most attracted to the farty thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, like I was saying, I was right there alongside of those people and uh, I was, you know, kind of saw it and it was a little dismissive because it didn't, you know, that the, you know, the fart jokes and stuff, that's not, it's not really my jam. Yeah. And so when Gene was showing me this, I was like, Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. And then and then you know, like I said, sure enough, I, I now I'm I'm totally sold. I have to say everybody that I've shown this to when they cross the threshold, they really love it. Like my wife right. doesn't play a lot of games, but like we had a I think about a week or so that we were playing this together on the big TV and oh, she cool. would, she would look forward to it like I want to, you know, play more Dropsy and that like never happens. Right. You know, she'll play like a puzzle oh, game cool. or something. Yeah. So, and she has very fond memories of it and you know, just as a quick thing, she wanted to say thank you, and she really loved the game. And yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really I've just good been to hear, hear. Nito. <laughs> yeah, so you know, just know that if people actually get in, they actually start the game up and play for a few minutes. I think everybody I've talked to has really loved it, and you know, just the comments across the board have been extremely positive. And again, that thing about sincerity, like everybody from the music to to you know, just the the NPCs, the interactions, everybody's like, this is. You said, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, and it never happens. It's a sweet game with some slightly dark moments. Right. Yeah, at the end, there's a thing, but it's not <laughs> It's not what people expect, and it's like, it's not, Dropsy is never, 
you know, it's not a big spoiler to say he's never a bad dude. So. <laughs> but yeah, yeah right, right. that was a thing that stressed me out for sure for a while. Like, and Undertale came out uh, a week or two after Dropsy. And not that point and click adventures have much potential for like, like that's another thing is I think that there's not a lot of overlap between the audience who like farty. I keep saying farty. I guess that's a new word to describe this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ren and Stimpy, like, blah. Twisted. Right, 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 I don't right. know. There's not a lot of overlap between that kind of person and a person who would play a slow point and click adventure. So I think once they realize what genre it is, like I was at a game convention and it, this made me really sad. Uh, and there was a game, it was in the Devolver booth and there was a game next to ours that had a controller um, but they shared the same table and we had a keyboard and mouse in front of our game, but the controller was kind of in front of our game. So the person sat there and they picked up the controller and tried to like move dropsy, even though it was for the game next to ours. And they realized Ugh. they looked down and they like moved the mouse and realized the kind of game it was. And then they left <laughs> and I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. they're missing out. Well, they're yeah. missing out. You're you're not always going to get everybody, but the people that do are definitely going to be, you know, they're they're in it for the long haul. So, we wanted to know, are there any future plans for Dropsy? Maybe a sequel, possibly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are. So okay, like, we didn't it didn't like, take um, too hard to get it out of here. <laughs> so, we we've had idea ideas for a sequel, a sequel like since before the game was done and like we don't know what we'd really like to do is make a direct sequel that continues the story because there's a pretty amusing and interesting concept for that and we would also continue the villain we were thinking about you switch back and forth between dropsy and uh playing as the villain from the first game hmm. um and expanding more on him but um i haven't beaten it yet so no spoilers Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like oh, right at the end. Yeah, you've been, right you've been very good about not giving anything away, so keep it that way just for okay. the next Gene, 10 minutes. Gene, Gene told me I'm like like 10 minutes away from beating the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, the end comes pretty quickly uh, if you're good at adventure games. So um, we've been debating like what to do about that, but we are working on a Switch version. Uh, I say we're working on it, but we're waiting for one guy to be sent his dev kit. But uh, me and Jesse have been adding back in some content that was cut like there's some beach areas that ha were just didn't make it into the game and so there's a few new npcs and some new stuff that fills in uh, a little bit of lore that um you couldn't quite get from the original release most of this was planned but we couldn't make it by release so nice. that makes this sense. is like the actual one I wanted to make originally is what it'll be. And there's a karaoke part too, which <laughs> oh, be fun. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So can you tell us about your upcoming game, Hypnospace Outlaw? That's a hard one to describe too. It's an alternate reality internet simulator uh, set in sort of a fake 1999, though it's really a 1999 that combines a lot of things from the entire 90s. Like... There's a lot of this global village sort of tech optimism-y thing where 
with like a lot of appropriated like tribal designs stuff like that and <laughs> that's from the early 90s and then there's a lot of like sort of late 90s like new metal like matrix like you know all, all of that sounds like my jam i yeah, yeah. got it Got to join the web ring to get on that game. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you browse this internet system and you, you play as sort of a, a volunteer moderator. You just moderate in exchange for fake currency um, that you can just spend on downloads. You go through these GeoCities looking websites with like rotating animated GIFs or GIFs or whatever you say. And you, <laughs> you there's only one right way to say it. Well, let's. I'm not, not going to argue that. that. <laughs> well, I, I was waiting for my, Gene to perk up and just. <laughs> my favorite podcasts that I love all say it the way I think is wrong, so it's fine. I'm fine <laughs> with it now. But um, uh, yeah, so so that's what that is. You browse this enormous fake internet, and there's a buttload of music in this game there's i think right now three hours of original music and chris Schlarp wow. did wow. get the band back together and he i'm just gonna say this he, like uh he he there's a psych rock slash prog fake 70s psych rock prog band called clifta that we I wrote into uh, the hypnospace lore and story. So he got <laughs> the band together and like tried his best to approximate the different eras of an old like psych slash prog band. And so there's <laughs> a few songs from their early 70s records that everyone likes. And they're both 10 minutes long, which is really cool. <laughs> That's incredible. That's and awesome. then there's an 80s song of theirs, which is like when they fell from everyone's grace and were going for a little bit of a poppier sound. And then there's the lead singers, like solo, like meltdown project (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where it's just not that good, but he, he likes it and diehard fans like it. So it's so cool. Um, what he did for that project. And he, he did not charge me a whole lot of money because I didn't have a lot. So uh, yeah. And there's a new metal song in there. Uh, it's very <laughs> nice. accurate. It sounds just like Lincoln Park. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. lots of fun, like 96 kbps uh, MP3s in there and stuff. Well, you <laughs> sold me on the game. I think we're both of the same. We're all of the same era, actually. Right, right. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, do we have do we have a release date for uh, Hitman uh, Space? January uh, is is when that's going to come out. Yep. Nice and platform. Uh, PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, okay. We'd really like to port it, and we will. To we got that Switch dev console. kit on the way, so uh. <laughs> yeah, we will if it sells enough on PC. But um, we're kind of stuck in a way that like we can't localize it. Too many words and too many on purpose misspellings, and like right. it oh, would just yeah, be yeah. a big mess and very expensive. So it can only be English. So that kind of limits the audience, which might limit sales. Hopefully not. And yeah. But if we sell enough, we'll definitely port it because I want everything to be on God's perfect console. So, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, moving back over to drops, we got uh, another track. It's kind of like our, our well, second to last track. The track's called Theme Park. And this was composed by Jay Tholen for the Dropsy Eternal Hug EP. It's a very interesting track. So let's take a listen to that. And we'll be right back.
All right. That was Theme Park by Jay Tholen from Dropsy. I have so much fun listening to it. The different changes and kind of, you know, speed up and slow downs with the, the time is just... I mean, it's not really the time. It's like the time signature kind of switches up, right? Yeah, yeah a little bit. There's, a there's some in there. time in there. Yeah, yeah. So it just—it's it, a really fun track, and I—I I think it keeps kind of like this kind of evolving um, feeling with like the the momentum of of the the entire track. Yeah, it's a really interesting interplay. The foreground, you know, the sort of is the percussion, and the background, you kind of have this sort of rolling chord melody thing, and it's. One is, you know, the, the percussion is really out in your face, but it's also a very soothing track. When you hear it in the game, it's sort of in the background when you're walking around this, like, circus tent as they're building up for the show, but it, it works really well there. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that one, uh, <laughs> that one I'm, I made very, very early on. I think it was on that early tracks album, too. And that was like a a theme that I was going to play when Dropsy first leaves this tent and like hits the road to go on his adventure or something. I didn't end up sending that to Chris or anything because I just wanted him to come up with like whatever he was gonna come up with. But we got towards his own the take end. on it, yeah. What what's that? Oh, I just said his own take on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't want to confine him to like something I made because then he might not be into it, and then it'll mess with you know. It, it's just I wanted him to do the whole thing however he wanted. So, mm -hmm. um, we got towards the end of development and I realized I didn't have anything suitable for this theme park area because the, the electronic tracks he did were really good, but, uh, they had some suspense to them and they were a little, it needed to feel a little happier. Um, like they were going for a theme park thing. So I listened to all the old music I did and this one had some, um, sounds in it that reminded me a little bit of Chris's other electronic. It's a little bit more densely layered like my stuff usually is, but I thought it was close enough so that it kind of could fit. And yeah, so I just threw that in there. I, I fixed it up a little bit, but yeah, threw that in there. <laughs> yep. I think it fits perfectly. It's, uh, you know, all the tracks have uniqueness and their own touches to them. And I think that's what kind of the, the whole soundtrack is about. Yeah, there's some kind of, uh, repeating themes and some reoccurring melodies and stuff, but there's also a lot of different styles and diversity in the music, and I think it doesn't sound like it. Other than that, the, the 144 marching uh, yeah. 44 or whatever, I think everything fits. Although I do think that 144 is meant to sound a little bit like out of place. Oh, so of course, yeah, of definitely. course, of course. I, you know, actually, one of the reasons why I was really interested in talking to you guys is because it's really not very common for us to see this kind of collaboration between the lead designer, who is also a musician, and the composer. And, you know, it's, we heard you guys talk a whole bunch about how you collaborated. And, you know, I'm I was just really happy to see that you got some of your tracks in the game. They tend to be a lot more, in, like, incidental spots. Like, you go into the club and they're playing, like, a version of the Dropsy theme sort of as a dance track. You know, there's there's a lot of that sort of thing. Oh, I love it. And Dropsy, like, starts twerking <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's another farty thing since I coined that term now. <laughs> oh, man, I was cracking up so hard. <laughs> Middle of the night here and I was just laughing. Yeah, there's but that. There's the dream, uh, the dream air sequences also. Um, oh, that's a bizarre, yeah. And did I do anything else? I, I don't know. Yeah, but it was definitely like... So when I got signed with Devol Devolver, I was like, well, shoot, 
I gotta get some of my music in this dang game in case it gets really big, so that then, <laughs> you know, because music's what I always like was. I quit. I gave up on games for for a long time because the indie market didn't exist yet. You know, I didn't. There wasn't indie games. You know, you had to join a big studio. So I, I tried to do music for a long time um, as a thing that you know to get me out of being a telemarketer. You know. And that 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 really is my. I think I have more fun make, doing music, you know, making music. Uh, just the process is just is just more fun and more relaxing to me. And games are a little more. Your mind's always running, and you're always worrying about tying all the bits together, you know. So, so yeah, I think I I I, I made sure to try to get some of my own junk in there a little bit. <laughs> oh, I would have done the same. Yeah. I would have started like uh, put oh, yeah. my stuff in there to where like <laughs> hey, at least maybe somebody will hear it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I think it's time that the show uh, kind of winds down. Today we covered Dropsy, the point and click hug venture designed by Jay Tholen and composed by both Jay Tholen and Chris Schlarb. If you want more on the show, then check us out online at pixelatedaudio.com for show notes and the track list. We can also be found on social media. The best way to join the discussion is on our Discord channel. There's a link in the show notes in your favorite podcast apps or get there from the website. Yeah, and we want to say uh, you know, a big thank you to everybody who uh, asked questions on our Discord server for uh, both Chris and Jay. Uh, there was Mayunard, Electric Boogaloo, Weasel, and Ed from the VGMC. And so I want to say thank you guys. Uh, really means a lot that you, uh, you had some questions to submit because, you know, there, there was a lot of there was a lot of information given today, and so we kind of threw them in when we could. I uh, also want to give a shout out to our sister site VGM Rips, where you can find high quality, sample accurate music uh, for a lot of different arcade games, FM synth stuff. And uh, if you like the show, if you want to leave us comments or feedback, you can go to the website and comment on this episode, or uh, you know leave us a review on iTunes. That always means a lot. Also, check out our Patreon page if you want to support the show. Uh, you know. As little as a dollar a month can help feed this starving gene. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no I, I, I eat quite enough. Don't worry yeah. about me. Uh, if you're new to our podcast, make sure to check out some of our past episodes, like episode 92, where we covered Cuphead with the composer Christopher Madigan and the Mexican Runner, uh, episode 65, Red Alarm on the Virtual Boy, and episode 12, Castlevania Bloodlines on the Sega Genesis. Yep. Uh, Chris and Jay want to say thank you guys both. Chris is spiritually here yes. uh but uh it was awesome having him on jay thank you so much uh it was just so insightful to hear thank your, you your process oh thank you very much i appreciate uh, all of the uh work you guys put into your questions and research and everything it's I, you know it's it's fun for us it's you know letting uh, the composers and you know developers talk about their their passions and their projects is uh the most meaningful thing and it's just the the best way for us to express our appreciation for the kind of work that you're putting in so thank you very much thanks and uh anyways the track taking out the show we we're talking about uh, you know the different dub and we've heard kind of a lot in the soundtrack so far uh, this is a really awesome track, and I think it's a great way to take out the show. It's called Lee's Vampire Dub, and this was composed by Chris Schlarb again. Thank you guys so much for listening, and, and thank you, uh, Jay, for joining us. Chris, you as well, up there in the clouds, wherever you are listening. 
and You're uh, welcome. We, <laughs> down in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we hope you guys uh, had a good time talking with us. And thank you, everybody, again, for listening and supporting us this far. Again, this is Lee's Vampire Dub. See you guys in a few weeks for the next episode. And we say, and you're listening to. <laughs> or, 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 I didn't think of it like that, but if you want to do it that way, like the Mickey Mouse no, Club or no. something, we could do it. No, and no, Jay, we'll Jay, you can just finish it off or something. Sure. Okay. Um, Whenever okay. you're ready. Uh, this is Jay Tholen. And this is Chris Schlarb. And you're listening to Pixelated Audio. <laughs> oh, is that is that is that is that I have to say that? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, let's do it one more time, and I'll we'll do we'll tag okay. team this thing like sure. Okay. UWF shit. <laughs> All right, okay. sounds good. <laughs> this is Jay. Th- okay, ready? Okay, this is Jay Tholen, and this is Chris Schlarp, and you're listening to Pixelated Audio, episode number one hundred and three, featuring the music of Dropsy. Ooh, I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs>